is a gay icon. Oh, he's yeah. Very iconic. <laughs> he, one of he is one of the gay icons. This is a woman who is a badass, badass. And, and has these major accomplishments, groundbreaking accomplishments, and they're asking her about makeup. Maybe a couple decades ago, that if you dressed against your gender, you could be arrested. Basically, Halloween as we know it is because of the LGBTQ community. Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Sex Positivity Unfiltered, where we talk about sex and we are not polite about it. This episode, we are talking about gay Christmas, a.k.a. Halloween. And so we thought it would be super fitting to dress up as some gay icons. I am Elton John, obviously. I hope the glasses give it away. (laughs) Tell them who you are. And I'm Sally Ride. Okay, awesome. And we're going to we're going to give a little bio and info on who they are to celebrate them but first we'll just dive right into the history of gay christmas yeah it's called yeah Yeah. so i have to give a lot of credit to the richmond library um and we'll include that link but i got a lot of this information from just their library and their information and i actually learned a lot as i was researching this and so you know, gay Christmas, or as again, as we know it, is Halloween. It's just a holiday that gives people room to express gender variance and defy norms. And we all kind of know Halloween as that. Like, you, like you can go dressed as anything you want, whoever you want, and it's. Um, I'll use the word acceptable because it's Halloween. Oh, yeah. Um, right? Definitely. Like, you know, men can cross-dress on Halloween and it's kind of acceptable because it's Halloween. Exactly. Um, <clears throat> but maybe not acceptable otherwise. It would be fine with us, but, like, as a society, right, there's still this stigma to defying gender norms <laughs> on the regular. So the ha- this holiday is unique in that way. And Halloween can be traced back 2,000 years to the Celtic holiday festivals for Samhain. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, but I'm going to spell it for our listeners in case no one knows what I'm talking about. Um, But yeah, the Celtic holiday festival for Samhain is spelled S-A-M-H-A-I-N, which marks the end of harvest season and the beginning of winter. And so, you know, way back when, the Celtic people believed that the veil dividing the living and the dead was thinner on Samhain, and so the spirits would be able to walk among them during that holiday. Whenever the, or actually the Roman church took over aspects of the holidays whenever they con- whenever they conquered the Celts, um, taking some of the spookiness with them. So the holiday kind of, you know, if we're talking about like Samhain, it changed whenever the Roman church took over mm. and conquered the Celts, right? So that's going back, you know, 2,000 years. Um so then, so that happens, right? Samhain changes due to the Roman church. And then a few centuries later, Pope Gregory III moved the celebration of All Saints Day from May 13th to November 1st. And so that's why October 31st became All Hallows' Eve um, or Hallows' Saints' Evening or Halloween, right? Oh. That's kind of how we got that name was really when Pope Gregory III moved All Saints' Day from May 13th to November 1st. I did not know that. No, I'm in the history had, lesson right now. I had no clue. I never have even thought to question why we call it Halloween. It's just yeah. always been Halloween to yeah. me, right? So that was really interesting. I mean, I've heard the All Hallows' Eve before. I just yeah, never... Didn't really know why, yeah. like, why it was called that, right? Um, so in America, Halloween at the time was seen as a pagan holiday. And... All celebrations of the holiday were banned then. 
And so it wasn't until the 1800s that Halloween came back into the public eye. And upon its rebirth, communities wanted it to be, they were really wanting it to transform, um, going from like this spooky holiday centered around death to more about like gatherings and fun okay. and community, right? Okay. So that's really kind of, in the 1800s when it came back, the association with it was different, okay. right? More fun. And so then the commercialized holidays became a staple around the country and that's when like extravagant parties and festivals started growing in popularity around Halloween. Going forward, and I'm, I know I'm giving like big time jumps here. Oh, you're good. Okay, yeah. but that was like 1800s. It, it comes back. In the early 1900s, it was unacceptable to be openly gay in America, which we know. Um, and, in, and like an example of that was in 1907, a... Uh, Pittsburgh newspaper reported girls masquerading as tomboys on Halloween. I think it's hilarious to use the word masquerading, but they're masquerading as tomboys <laughs> on Halloween in 1907. And in 1912, people were arrested in Pittsburgh for expressing their gender through cross-dressing. Oh, yeah. So no, it was completely illegal until like yes. maybe, a, maybe a couple decades ago that if you dressed against your gender, you could be arrested. No problem. Yeah, yeah. It's wild to me. And I wouldn't be surprised if there's some states where that might still technically be a law. You yeah. know, it's like one of those things. So people were being arrested, but then eventually the police couldn't keep up with all of the uh all the Halloween reports. So you know Halloween happens. There's a lot of people quote unquote cross dressing or going against their gender. And they couldn't really keep up with it. And so then the arrests stopped. Um but however, those who continue to try out elaborate costumes and exploring their gender expression at Halloween festivals were seen as kind of revolutionary. Hey. Right? They were going against the grain. They were going against the norm. And they were like, I want to do this is who I am. I want to do that. So then around this time, still in the early 1900s, this is when the Great Migration happened, when thousands of black Americans fled the south up north to, to cities like Chicago. And so queer black folks brought the art of drag ball to these cities. And Chicago is like a big one, um, including the legend Alfred Finney. And his drag balls grew into like glamorous Halloween balls attended by thousands of people. And by the end of that century, Halloween parades had exploded into neighborhoods such as like Greenwich Village and, and Harlem in New York City and the Castro in San Francisco. And it just drew crowds of gay and straight people you know, gay and straight partygoers were coming for these extravagant balls. And so that's kind of why it's known as Gay Christmas, because it really was the gays who brought these these balls and the extravagance and going against gender norms and the costumes and embracing that. Um, basically, Halloween as we know it is because of the LGBTQ community. Hey, I love yeah. it. No, yeah. I mean, I relate to it very much because... In Halloween, it's the only time where, like you said, it's acceptable to go against your gender. Mm -hmm. So it's a really good time for you to experiment if you're kind of questioning your, your gender identity a little bit um, or your sexual identity a little bit. I remember even in uh, middle school, it was the first time where I technically dressed up in drag, but I was it was Halloween. So I was able to dress up as my best friend's boyfriend. Like, just mm. you know, I was, it was kind of a parody thing, but it was my I was so excited about it because it was the first time where I got to wear men's clothing i got to put on like a, 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 i made myself a little beard like it was the first time and i just remember feeling a sense of 
comfort and also safety because it's Halloween. So no one can bat an eye. I'm like, yeah, this is me being this is a parody almost. Yeah, that's what I was. That's kind of what I was thinking as I was like explaining this history, you know, Halloween being the the acceptable day to do all of this. It's unfortunate that that's like one of the only days where society as a whole views it as acceptable. Yeah. But like the meaning of it to different people is going to mean something else. Like for me as, you know, cis, straight, white woman, like if I dressed up as, as, uh, well, like right now, right? I'm dressed up as Elton John, but if I like dressed up as a tomboy or whatever, it would just be a costume to me. Exactly. Because like on the, on, on the daily, I'm dressing however I want. That feels authentic to me versus, you know, if you, um, like, let's, let's say you, for example, and you can tell me if this is like your experience, but like, as a woman, there is this expectation of how you should dress, but that may not be how you really want to dress. Right. Oh yeah, definitely. It took a really long time for my, the loved ones around me to be accepting in the fact that I'm going to wear men's clothing. And it took a really mm. long time for me to feel comfortable wearing men's clothing without thinking on, oh, I wonder what other people are thinking right now or uh, mm-hmm. whatever it is. So yeah, no, Halloween gave me that outlet, which was really nice. Um, yeah, it was, it, and on top of that, I feel like there's also some parallels to the uh, thespian community, to all mm. of the, the theater kids as well. Yeah. Because cross-dressing on Halloween, and if you're in like some type of play, not an issue. The, mm-hmm. when, it, when it's in that type of safe space, no one cares. Yep. But if you do it out in public and it's a serious thing or it's this is your daily wear, that's where it becomes an issue. Yeah. And I, I just I really had never thought of it this way. So I started <laughs> doing this research. I was like, wow. Be... So, yeah, I mean, I love Halloween and I always have. Like, okay, cool. I, I dress up every year. I usually like to dress up as cartoons, like cartoon characters. I okay. think I think for the past maybe like 10 years maybe even longer it's always been a cartoon character because that's a lot of fun to me um and I love to decorate my yard and decorate the inside of my house and I just I've always loved Halloween I never knew until now that it was started because the LGBTQ community so I learned something new and I'm hoping our listeners will too because I don't I would be willing to bet a lot of people don't know that history oh no I mean Okay, so now we're going to I'm going to switch it a little bit to the fact that October is LGBTQ History Month, Mm. which a lot of people don't know because June gets a lot of rap for being Pride Month. There's two. We have a Pride Month. We have a a History Month. October is History Month. And the reason that is uh, the biggest contributor is National Coming Out Day falls on um, the 10th of October. So the day that everyone decides to come out. I don't actually honestly don't know a gay who's came out on National Coming Out Day, but (laughs) That's our day. Okay. Um, and then on top of that, there was uh, the anniversary of the March on Washington. Way back when, I have the date here. Yeah, October 14th, 1979, LGBTQ had a big march on Washington just kind of for our rights. It was it was a big deal. So um, due to that, they coined October LGBTQ History Month. And the whole reason that we even have a History Month is it was aimed to raise awareness for our our culture, our society, our community. Um, and it gives, because it's in October versus June, it gives schools the ability to celebrate, right? In classroom and uh, bring awareness to their kids, which I think is so important now, because now we're having the exact opposite happen to where we have the don't say gay bill. We have like a lot of, um, a lot of states have pretty much banned the ability to teach any LGBTQ studies history in schools, which is crazy because that's why October became LGBTQ History Month. Yeah, I I hate to hear that because 
that is kind of the world we live in right now. Yeah. There's like this, it's like fear mongering. Mm-hmm. It's like, don't teach the kids about this stuff. Yeah. And so the clo- it's like when we take one step closer, you know, making, hey, let's do this in October so it can be during the school year. Yeah. There's always the other side that's like, we're going to get in the way of that. Like you can have your month, but we're going to ban you from teaching students about it or talking about it. Um, yeah, because most people are afraid, A, they coin it as the... The homosexual agenda, right, is uh, part of the agenda of uh, turning kids gay. Um, But, yeah, they basically think that if you expose kids to any type of LGBT studies at all, at any type of education, then that pretty much is you um, signing off on, okay, this is a lifestyle that's okay, which, A, it is. 100%, yeah. But, B, to a lot of people's um, religious faiths, it is not an okay lifestyle in order to get into heaven or whatever your um, religious background is. Yeah, living in Texas is the worst sometimes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Bible, Bible belts, you know, lots of Christians here. Yeah. And um, just really unfortunate because there are gay students Yeah, in every school. <laughs> yeah. We should be talking about their community and their history. And when we don't, we're really doing them a disservice. So. Yeah, and there's a lot of amazing Americans who have done amazing things mm-hmm. gonna t- talk to you about one today um, <laughs> who you who you know in your history books but they never once will mention mm-hmm. that they have a sexuality different from heterosexual yeah 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 I am glad that there is a history month and I will admit I did not know that there was one until we started doing research for this episode I knew about pride month yes. but I didn't know there was a separate like LGBTQ history month which mm-hmm. I think is really really important and so, that one came first actually the oh LGBTQ wow history okay month. yeah and yeah. see and that's maybe a perfect example of how much they don't want you to talk about it like pride is in the summer and people think pride is like the parades and the festival it's more than that but people think about that um that's what I have always, I guess, focused on. But the actual like History Month, new to me, very important to me. So, oh, yeah. yeah, good to know about. Yeah, and actually that's the reason um, if anyone's ever wondered why certain pride parades are actually not in June. Some cities, Dallas and Fort Worth used to be this way. Fort Worth still is. Um, we celebrate our uh, pride parade in the October, in the fall, mm. um, because of LGBTQ History Month. Versus celebrating in June. Dallas just recently switched it to where they celebrated in June. Actually, there's a fight between the gay community in the DFW area where we actually have two parades now because they like that it was in the um, fall and in our uh, neighborhood, our little strip versus uh, they switched it to June to where now it's in this big stadium. It's basically where they do the state fair and they also charge a cover charge and it's very corporatized and things like that so yeah so we have two okay i did not know that yeah (laughs) just a little tangent (laughs) a little tangent um well i i want to know more about who you're dressed up as today so do you know who sally ride is i do know who sally ride is i don't know a lot of information about her which is why i love that we come to the table and we don't know what the other is going to talk about because yes yes (laughs) genuine learning experience so yeah Hey, I, okay. I, want, I want to hear this. Um, so for my listeners who don't know, Sally Ride was a uh, American physicist, also astronaut. She was she is known for being the first American woman in space. And she was also our, our youngest mm-hmm. at the time. Um, so she broke a bunch of barriers. 
very smart lady. Um, just a little bit about her earlier life. She's from California. She was born in 1951, attended UCLA for a brief time. At UCLA, she was the only woman who majored in physics. The only wow. one. Okay. She transferred to Stanford as a junior a little bit afterwards, uh, graduated with a bachelor degree in English, a master's in physics, and then a doctor of philosophy in physics um, during her time at Stanford. Um, and then around this time, which again, you won't read in your history books at school, she dated a girl named uh, Molly Tyson. So uh, Sally's always been a tennis player, really good tennis player too. Um, she didn't practice enough in order to make it huge, huge, but she won a bunch of like, she was a number one tennis wow. player for a really long time in the United States. Um, but yeah, so Molly Tyson and her, they, um, they got into a relationship. They became doubles partners too, and they competed, did really well. Around her graduation from Stanford, she basically got selected to be an astronaut uh, at NASA or to go through the training. In her class of trainees, there were, I believe, six other women, and this was the first class that was going to allow female astronauts. Um, so, I mean, she was, it was six women, but it was like 30 something guys as mm -hmm. well. And during, during that time, she actually married a man. His name is Stephen Hawley. He was a fellow astronaut. Uh, he was unaware of her previous relationship to Tyson, right? And it was kept under wraps. Yeah. Um, and the thing that I loved about it is during their wedding day, she flew from Houston to Salina, Kansas. Uh, they got married in his parents' backyard. She wore uh, white jeans on her wedding day. So wow. she was in pants. Yeah. She, this is already so bold in so, so many ways. It. Yeah, Love it. And this is, you know, these are, this is in the 80s. Yeah. So this is, I mean... The sexual liberation had already kind of happened. Feminism is kind of, you know, is happening right now. So there's a lot of, you know, pressure to kind of bring women, you know, up, mm -hmm. up to par. But, yeah, the fact that, again, white jeans on your wedding day, girl, I like, kudos. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, back to NASA. So obviously NASA was very male dominated. However, on June 18th, 1983, um, she went into space aboard the Challenger space shuttle. First woman in space or first American woman in space. She was only 32 years old. So around our age, they successfully launched two international satellites into orbit. Now, before going on this mission, obviously being the first American woman in space, everyone wanted to interview her. You know, she oh, just got for sure. hundreds of yeah offers, declined all of them. However... Because it's NASA, they did a press release right before going into space with the crew. And the questions that they asked her are nowadays comical. <laughs> um, so they asked her how space was going to affect her ability to reproduce. Oh, God. I had a feeling that's where you were going to go with this. Yes, yes. Um, also, do you weep when things go wrong on the job? Yeah, yeah, I know. I'm loving. Okay, for the listeners only, guys. Lindsay's Lindsay's eyes just got really big. <laughs> what the fuck? And you know they're not asking any of the male astronauts no, this. Of course not. <laughs> not concerned at all with this for the men. Oh, uh, they also asked her what kind of makeup she was going to take on the mission. Oh my right? god! I know this is a physicist. Like she is. This is a one. This is a woman who is a badass, badass. And, and has these major accomplishments, groundbreaking accomplishments, and they're asking her about makeup. Yep. Yep. Oh, not even not even just the press. NASA even asked her assistance in developing a space makeup kit because they just assumed it would be something that a woman would want on board. And why would you give a <laughs> shit about that? If I'm going into space, right? I feel like 
why would you why would i be wearing makeup makeup is the last thing on my mind yeah there. i mean just oh god so i'm great. sure she was so sick of those oh, questions oh so good um she actually was quoted saying at that press release it's too bad this is such a big deal it's too bad our society isn't further along yeah like which is true because mm-hmm. i mean there's so again huge physicist she's going into space and you're asking and her about they could makeup be, they could be getting the coolest information from her like how do things work like in whatever you do like what was your training like what do you hope to do? there's like so many cool questions they could have asked her yep but we're talking about yeah no reproduction she and makeup a robotic arm for nasa in order to you know launch these satellites like she that was her thing and yeah yet we're asking her if she's gonna weep if something goes wrong it's craziness um and then the craziest question the one that's most famous um that she was asked was the nasa astronauts were very concerned about her menstrual cycle so sally rides tampons were the most discussed tampons in history right wow yeah which is also an interesting uh, <laughs> an interesting fact um but yeah so they they weighed the tampons um, they sniff them to make sure that, you know, the odor wouldn't be too strong for the little capsule that they were going to be put in. Um, they even t- tied them together by their little strings. So that way they wouldn't float off in the space. Right? Yeah, <laughs> I know. Um, and they uh, came to her and asked, all right, is 100 tampons enough for your six day mission? <laughs> so they're clueless. They these, got, are, they're, these are they're rocket clu- scientists. Yeah. They couldn't like do a little more research into the like what in all fairness to them though Lindsay, i mean what research was there back then on any type well, of female well i mean i say research but like they couldn't ask their wife they couldn't oh, i yeah, mean you know true. it's like you could just ask any woman your mom like anybody right like how many tampons do you typically use and that's that's what's so interesting is that they don't ask they're just like is a hundred enough why don't why not just go and say how how many many tampons tampons do you think you're gonna need for this trip because it is like it is a good point like if she is gonna be on her period during the mission making sure she has what she needs like i get all of that for sure yeah but what a hilarious question i think a hundred will be enough (laughs) for a a six-day mission (laughs) yeah no she i think she clapped back was like no that's not the right number but that was all she gave them (laughs) which is great a hundred tampons guys for you ladies in there just imagine a six-day trip and someone just like your husband packing a hundred for you like that's sweet but still oh hilarious (laughs) oh my gosh um but yeah, so during her mission while she's up in space, uh, she gazed down upon Earth and she fell in love with it. Like it gave her uh, basically a, another viewpoint that she hadn't had before. She's quoted saying that, you know, you can see um, the ocean, the sediment falling away in the ocean. You can see the cities light up. You can see the thunderstorms going. It's just like a viewpoint that you get mm-hmm. that you you don't get from down here, which by the way, I mean, that's if ever, but that would be a bucket list item for me is to be able to go in space and see the earth. I think that's so cool. Um, but because of this uh, appreciation she got, she became really big on protecting the ozone layer and mm-hmm. basically global warming. And um, her next mission actually was about uh, collecting data about how radiation and aerosol cans affect our ozone layer and um, things like that. So yeah, those are her big accomplishments just while she was an astronaut, while she was um, you know, basically big in NASA. The reason that I picked her was because a lot of people actually don't know that she was queer and that's because she was herself pretty closeted throughout her entire life 
as far as the queer aspect goes, she was married. Well, not. Yeah, she was married. I will say married. It was a domestic partnership, but she was with the same woman for 27 years. Um, her The woman's name is Tam O'Shaughnessy. If I mispronounce that, I I apologize. Uh, they met on the tennis court when they were in their preteens, mm-hmm. reconnected, you know, a couple decades later, became in a relationship. She was closeted for most of her life. And how long, I'm just curious, how long was she married to, because you said she got married to a man. Oh, yeah. Uh, she did marry a male, a, fel, a fellow male astronaut from 1982 to 1987. So it was five years. Okay. Um, but yeah, she stayed in the closet as far as her relationship to Tam because she was afraid to lose her funding. Mm-hmm. So instead, she focused on female representation in STEM. However, she was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Um, So around that time, she decided that she was going to be a little bit more open about her relationship. So she got a certified domestic partnership to TAM uh, in California on August 15th, 2011. Now, this was her friends and her family knew about TAM the entire time. Like she wasn't she wasn't deep in the closet to where she was hiding things. She just wasn't public about it as far as like the news. Okay. Um, yeah. So unfortunately, on July 23rd, 2012, a year, almost a year after she got uh, her domestic partnership with Tam, she basically died uh, after a 17th month battle with cancer. And it was it wasn't until her death that Tam wrote about it for the first time publicly in her obituary. And they apparently they went back and forth on what how to phrase the words. Um, but yeah, basically said that she was leaving a partner of 27 years, Tam O'Shaughnessy, behind. And that was the first time that she had ever, that her sexuality had ever been written about, mm. um, which is so sad because, again, it's after she died. She's a major, a major role model in the LGBT community, Q community, but none of us ever knew. Right. Until, until that recently. time. Yeah, so this is 2012. 10, 11 years ago. So, yeah. so recently. So recently. Um, So a year after her death, uh, she received the Presidential Medal of Freedom, which is the highest honor for a civilian given to her by Barack Obama. Tam accepted the award on her behalf. Since she was out, she became, around that time, our first queer astronaut, which is really crazy. That is... You will not hear that in school mm, ever. No. It's unfortunate that you won't hear it in school because it does matter. Even like... You mentioned she didn't want to be out because it could like affect her funding. Exactly. Yeah. So when we're talking about this stuff, it's not just I hate when people say like, oh, who cares if if someone's gay? Well, we we need to care because the reason that she didn't want to be out is because it would quite literally affect her livelihood, you know? And it's just really unfortunate and sad that that was that had to be her experience. But I'm glad that she it sounds like a very happy domestic partnership with Tam. Oh yeah, twenty-seven years, yeah. girl. I mean, I those are goals. Right, those are definitely goals. Uh-huh. And they did just a lot together. Ride and O'Shaughnessy. They co-founded the Sally Ride Science. Now, this is an educational company that develops programs and provides resources to encourage young girls uh, to pursue STEM opportunities. Um, they also co-wrote several books together. Um, they wanted to make science more accessible for kids. And then Ride was inducted uh, into the Legacy Walk, which is which I didn't even know existed. And I'm going to have to visit at some point. It's an outdoor public display in Chicago that celebrates LGBT history and people, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. Um, and then her accomplishments just in general as an astronaut broke barriers 
It inspired many women and girls to pursue careers in science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. So yeah, she did a lot with her life. And she's, a lot of people know her name, obviously, Ride Sally Ride, that mm -hmm, song that mm -hmm. everyone loves. A lot of people know her as the first uh, female astronaut. She's on a coin, she's on a quarter. Almost nobody knows she's gay. Yeah, well, yeah. people will know now. Hey, yes. <laughs> people will know now, yeah. and it should be celebrated. Yeah. And this I'm glad. Badass, yeah, yeah, I'm glad we know about it now. Cool. Very cool. Hey, I learned. Too. I learned a lot about Sally Ride that I did not previously yeah. know. No, I had to pick someone who was in the science community. No, in all transparency, I have covered Sally briefly in another podcast, but it was just a small little mm -hmm. paragraph. So this time, I actually got to really dive into her life. I learned a lot about her. It was very inspiring for someone who's also in STEM and loves STEM. So it was great. Great. Well, thanks for sharing yes. that. All right. Now, now I want to learn about our... El Elton John. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So full name is Sir Elton Hercules John. Um, oh, yeah. but he, he was knighted. Yeah, That's right. He was knighted. Yes. And he was actually... He was... Um, knighted in 1998 by Queen Elizabeth II. Hey. And uh, kind of a... It was like a recognition of not only him as a musician but all the work he did all the charitable work he did especially in the in the fight against aids so he's very much involved in that and has been for a very long time he was also speaking of being knighted um prior to being knighted so this was in 95 so three years earlier um Queen Elizabeth II also honored him with the title CBE, which stands for Commander of the Order of the British Empire. So, oh, wow. <laughs> so, he, so, yeah, Queen Elizabeth II, a fan hey. <laughs> of, of Sir Elton John. Um, and that is not his, his, that's not the name that he was born with. He was born as Reginald Kenneth Dwight in 1947 um, and went by Reggie. And I have like a story I'm going to share about him or where someone refers to him as Reggie and that I'm talking about Elton John. If, if you hear me say Reggie and he has two sons, Zachary and Elijah with his husband, David Furnish. Um, and the kids were born in 2010 and 2013 and him and David Furnish got married in 2014 after gay marriage was legalized in the States. So, so they've been together since 93 though. So very long relationship. Wow, um, that is a very long relationship. Yeah. And he, and I wanted to explain how he came up with the name Elton Hercules John. Um, <laughs> in the 1960s, Elton John formed a soul group called Bluesology. So his at the time, he was still going by Reggie. But he came up with Elton John because it's a combination of the saxophonist in that group named Elton Dean and the vocalist in that group named Long John Baldry. So he like took part of their names and combined them hey, to get Elton John. Okay, gotcha. Um, and he also ditched his his middle name, which was which is Kenneth. His middle name is is now Hercules. And he said that he chose that name after a horse in a popular British sitcom called Steptoe and Son. So okay. inter random, that is very right? interesting. Yeah. I would have never known. <laughs> and what's so funny is like everywhere I was looking about his name, um, it's not super obvious where Hercules came from. Like you might see like, oh, it came from a TV show. So I had to figure out well, what TV show is that? And when, what's yeah, it's called Steptoe and Son. Um, and he really is a natural born musician. And he's been playing the piano since like three or four years old. And um, he had won an award when he was, I think, 11. Um, it was like some some like musical school that he won an award. And his teacher there said that 
he like even at 11 years old he was at a place where he could hear something and then play it love it yes yeah crazy yes. right oh so, and i'm envious of people like that that's amazing oh yeah and apparently he's been that way for forever so you he know? started off with the piano that's like has yeah. been his bread and butter this entire that's kind of okay. yeah he's been playing since he was really really young and his his parents so his parents are Stanley and Sheila, and his mom was more of the um, free spirit of his parents. And she, so she would bring home records and play it, and, and kind of like introduced Elton John to music, basically. And so he started he started playing at a young age. And for for the listeners at home who are not seeing the video, I just want to just do a quick. Lindsay is literally in all white right now, like completely <laughs> like top to bottom, white pants, white shirt. She has like this feathered collar that is like just coming off of her shoulders, like just feathers are sticking out of her shoulders. She has the the very iconic Elton John glasses with the pink yes. shades. There's rhinestones that are rimming mm-hmm. the glasses, and she's in a top hat. So just to give you a little bit of a um, just let your imagination run a little while there it's it's an amazing outfit yeah and I have I have to like share the inspo pic but I I definitely got this outfit from a photo of Elton John probably 30 30 or 40 years ago he's wearing this all white you know the glasses definitely kind of make it so yes mine was easy it was just a NASA costume like this one bet easy um I have a funny interesting story about elton john and patty labelle so back when patty labelle was singing in singing with the bluebells uh john was working with her in the studio as a pianist and so he was part of her band basically and after long nights recording or doing a show patty labelle would invite her band back and feed, you know make them food and drinks okay, and just kind yeah. of like yeah just feed them and hang out Hospitality, yes. Hospitality, yeah. And so they were very close. And he had taken some food in in some of her Tupperware. And she's like, yeah, you can have this Tupperware. Just bring it back to the next show. Well, he never did. He never brought brought back the Tupperware. And so years later, he calls her. And she's like, where's my Tupperware? <laughs> like, I still want my Tupperware back. That's good. And, uh, and all those years had gone by. And, and in those years, in between, like, you know, when he was working with Patti LaBelle, and then when he called her, he had started making it really big, right? He was, like, a huge deal. And so when he calls her, she's like, where's my Tupperware? He sees her again, and he leaves this, like, diamond-encrusted ring that's shaped like a cross, like, on top of the piano as a gift to her. And she was like, Reggie, what the hell? Like, what is this? And he was like, that's your Tupperware. Hey. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I just, I found that story very endearing oh, of how yeah. close they are. And she said that she's just been very proud of him and, and his um, success. Speaking even more to his musical ability and the people that he collaborated with. So... He has a longtime songwriting collaboration with Bernie Taupin, um, and apparently they have an amazing working relationship and have for decades, for a very long time. And they actually met after Elton John answered an ad placed by a Liberty Records manager looking for songwriters. So he answered that ad, got connected with Taupin, and for a long time, it's reported that um they were never like physically together when they collaborated. It wasn't like they met up and collaborated. Um, Talpin would write the lyrics, send it to John, and John would compose the music. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. So that was really, really cool. 
Oh, yeah. And Elton John, and I know a lot of people know this about him, but I think it almost speaks like another accomplishment for him to be as sober as long as he has been because he did have problems with drugs and alcohol even like you know even before his music career took off and especially as it was taking off he was becoming more famous he did have problems with drugs and alcohol and was hospitalized in 1975 but he's been sober since then and he is actually Eminem's sponsor oh no way Mm -hmm. yeah from what I was looking up um, he might have been the one who told Eminem, like, you have a problem and Whoa. you need to do something about it. And so they're really close friends and he's been a sponsor for a really long time. Do you know anything about that story? Because that was a very interesting story when I was growing up. No, no. OK, you- so a little tangent. Fun yeah. fact. Um, I was a big fan of Eminem when I was a little girl. I fell in love with the uh, Eminem show album. Loved it. But around this time, I was very conflicted because I knew I've always known I was gay. Eminem had a big controversy because he was very problematic. I mean, he again, he used the F word all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so obviously getting a lot of public clap back. Yeah. And he even, I think, Eminem almost got sued for a couple of the things he said. Anyway, him and Elton John, they have a song that they wrote together. Um, and it was basically Eminem's way of saying, hey, oh, it's okay wow. to be gay. You know, I'm sorry. This is, you know, kind of how I've just grown up knowing yeah. to refer to it uh and then yeah this the fact i didn't know this part though the fact that they that he was eminem's sponsor that they got into that big of a relationship together like i, I think that's really awesome because yeah. that's the story i knew about eminem and elton john was that i did not know hmm. any of that i i knew that they're friends now and that he's a sponsor I was, as you were talking i was looking up the song it's called stan stan yeah that's the song that they have together i think Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That is a song that they have together, mm-hmm. yeah. It's a really good song about mental health, yeah. Okay, I've never heard it. Oh, it's it's about a fan who is obsessed with Eminem um, and is basically writing him letters. And it has a very, um, it has a very sad ending where he just, you should listen to this song. Okay, yeah. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, so that's a little, you know, tidbit about it as far as his history with drugs and alcohol. and um, And so, yeah, he's like, you know, he's... Elton John is always doing this amazing work. Yeah, he's a, he's an amazing musician, but he is always involved with charities, like really deep into the fight against AIDS, and then is also helping other people with their struggles with drugs and alcohol. So just really o- an overall amazing person. You can kind of see why the queen knighted him <laughs> when she did, you know. Um, so speaking of Elton John's sexuality. We all know now that he's a gay man. Yeah. Married to a man. I mean, Definitely. he's out and open. And um, and I think that's why he is such a gay icon, because he is just so open about it and wants and, other people to be open and accepting, too. And he came out really like he, he came out during a time where it was not OK. No, it definitely was not OK. And he actually uh, and I'll talk about kind of his dating like marriage history he was engaged to a woman i'll get into the details but he was engaged to a woman broke it off and then married another woman later but it didn't last very long because it was like i'm living a lie you yeah. know and i'll kind of go a little bit more into that but just to give you some dates in 1976 he came out as bisexual to rolling stones magazine i think that's the magazine but yeah 1976 came out as bisexual um He's not bisexual. He's gay. But I think at the time it f- felt softer to come. It's like 
Oh, always. I like men, but I like women too. Like not even have... of the time. That's just even that's, now. Yeah, that's a normal yeah. progression. Is usually when you come out, you kind of soften mm-hmm. the blow by saying, yeah. "I still like the gender. I still like the um, the opposite sex, but I also like the same sex as well." Yeah. Just so you know, family and friends, this is kind of just I might start bringing same sex around. Yeah. It's easier. easier yeah, it's. That's true. It is that way even now, which is unfortunate. But that's, yeah, that was his progression. Came out as bi. And then in 1992 is when he publicly was like, I'm comfortable with the fact that I'm a gay man. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and his first fiance, her name is Linda Woodrow. Um, and she's mentioned in his song called Someone Saved My Life Tonight. And that's from his album called Captain Fantastic and the Brown Dirt Cowboy in 1975. I didn't know. Interesting song title. Interesting song title. Interesting album title. Um, But that song came out in 95 and she's mentioned in that song. And at the time when he was with her, she provided financial assistance to him and to Taupin, who was his lyricist. So she was like helping them out at the time. And he called off the wedding two weeks before. And um, I think they lost they lost touch for a really long time. And in 2020, he actually helped pay for uh, for her medical fees upon her request, even though he had lost contact for 50 years. She reached out to him in 2020 and needed help. And he helped her um, because he's an amazing person. And, an of, amazing course, and of course, person, he would yeah. do that, right? And so in 1970, right after his first U.S. shows in Los Angeles, he reportedly lost his virginity and started his first gay relationship with John Reed, who was his manager. Or He wasn't his manager at the time, but later became his manager. And... They were in a relationship for five years, but John Reed continued to be his manager until 1998. So they had, even though they were not, they were like romantically linked for five years. You know, you're talking 1970 to 1998 were still in a relationship as far as like manager, musician. Okay. Um, and then in 1984 is when he married... And I am probably going to mispronounce her name, uh, but Rennet Blowell is who he married. And uh, so they got married in 1984. The marriage ended in divorce in 1988. And he said that she was the classiest woman he's ever met, but it wasn't meant to be because he was living a lie. So that relationship, that marriage lasted four years. An interesting fact about her and the relationship to Elton John in 2020 a lot was happening in 2020 for him. It was like his first, you know, female uh, fiance. He's helping her with medical expenses. And in that same year, Blowell sued him for writing about their relationship in his autobiography. Oh, like yeah. defamatory like accusations? I, I don't think it was. I don't know if it was really defamatory, but she said that it broke the terms of their divorce agreement. Oh. And then it was set out of court. So it's okay. very... Almost like kind of hush hush. I'm not really not quite sure what was happening there. So, yeah. So he um, wrote about her, and that did not go over well. And then in 1993, he met David Furnish, who is his now husband, who he has children with. And that's that's my info on Elton John as far as his you know musical history and his name and his sexual history and previous marriages. And you can just tell through all of that why. He is a gay icon. Oh, he yeah. He's very iconic. <laughs> he, one of, he is one of the gay icons. Like, yes. He's amazing. Yes. Um, is that like, I guess, why did you, out of all the 
out of all the ones you could have picked was it just because you knew of you knew his name you knew his outfit i just yeah he just is who kept coming to mind and maybe it is the outfits he's very um like flamboyant in that way and i mean that as a compliment like he he's always looking so fabulous and he stands out he's very vocal and amazing at playing the piano so yeah when i think of gay icons it just for whatever reason my mind just kept going to elton john have you seen the movie as well rocket man yeah yeah i have have. seen it so now i'm gonna have to see the movie i think i'm gonna go good it's such a good movie i i love it i would watch it again yeah okay was there anything else we were gonna share i think that was all i had I guess a good way to close it out from the sex therapist. Um, how would you how would you tie in LGBT history? Why is it needed in the sex positive community? I think there's probably a lot of reasons, but the answer that comes to mind is because people need to know they're not alone. You know, I think when I think of community and knowing the history, it's knowing what people in your community have gone through and what they've experienced. And how a lot of that might be similar to how you're feeling and how what you're experiencing. And I think without that sense of community and knowing what your community has been through, it's got to be isolating. Oh, yes. As a queer woman, I can tell you right now, if you don't have representation, it does feel you feel extremely alone. Yeah. Exactly. So it, that's what it is. Representation Okay, is what I think would be the most important thing. And tying it into sex positivity, it's not just about the mechanical, like the physical act of sex. It's about sexuality and embracing your sexuality, whatever that is, and letting it be okay and knowing that you have a community that's going to support you even when you feel like it's not okay. Though that kind of positive movement and knowing the history of what your community has been through, that is what is going to make you a healthier person and our society healthier too, mm. right? That's that's what I think of If you want to be a mentally healthy person and feel supported and have connections with others, I think history matters a ton there. Hey, I love it. And in in the spirit of uh, LGBTQ History Month, which, by the way, guys, if you have not seen the episode with Eric Crumrine, I highly recommend it. It's really good. We basically give you uh, or he gives you tips on queer sex and we go into um, what it was like coming out. It's a really good episode, so I highly recommend it. There was a question you asked me on that episode that I didn't fully answer, and it was how I came out. I'm going to preface this by, guys, I might be starting my period, so I'm getting a little emotional. So if I do cry, I apologize right now. <laughs> my coming out story is really long. So I'm going to give you just a brief synopsis on uh, on how I came out because it's it's... Yeah, it was an interesting story. So I've known I was gay since I was five years old. My first like official crush was a girl. I was in first grade. Mm-hmm. There was no way in hell I was going to refer to myself as a lesbian that mm-hmm. young or even say the word lesbian. Because that for a lot of queer people, when you when just saying the words butch, queer, lesbian, gay, when they come out of your mouth, they feel very uncomfortable. And yeah. it's because you're just your association with them are confusing. So, yeah, I called myself a tomboy and I just told my friends, I was like, hey, this is, you know, tomboys. We like girls. It's just how it is. It's just how we go. Um, But anyway, so it became high school. I was on the basketball team. I fell in love with with one of my co-players in the locker room is where I had my first kiss. And then we kept this relationship all throughout closeted all throughout high school. Um, around the the last semester of my senior year, like right after I turned 18, 
uh, I basically told my close friends. I told my best friend at the time she was sleeping over my house. We were in bed together and I just kind of broke the news of like, I have something to tell you. And then I basically told her that, you know, I'm gay. Her response was just amazing. It was like, I've always wanted a gay best friend. (laughs) And so it was it just it, it was really it was really positive. So anyway, fast forward out of high school. I'm still closeted. I'm living on my own. And I knew when I was nine years old, I asked my mother, um, I was like, hey, what would you do? And I threw my little brother under the rug. What would you do if my little brother was gay? Right. And she told me and she was basically like, you know, you can live whatever lifestyle you want, but you won't do it in this house. Right. So from then on, I knew that if I were to ever come out and be me, I could not be living there so you were like not gonna say that yeah, yeah. exactly yeah no way in hell Mm-mm. no way in hell Mm-mm. was i gonna come out before leaving the house so i moved out really early i moved out at 18 uh right after senior year uh moved in with these really cool guys so i went on a date with this one waitress that i met at ihop um and we it was my first public date because i was in the closet and i just remember Um, she grabbed my hand and we walked throughout the mall holding hands. And it was such like the lightning that went through my body when that happened. Oh my God, I can't even imagine. It felt amazing. I was like, wow, this is possible. You know, we don't have to hide. This is great. Like, I just remember feeling a level of excitement and and pride and just free. Yeah, free. That's Mm -hmm. a really good way to put it. Mm -hmm. I, I remember feeling free. So anyway, Ended the date, um, very uh, stereotypical lesbian date. It lasted two days. Uh, <laughs> was she moving in the next day? Pretty much, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, uh, so yeah, date was date went amazing. And then the next day I got a call from my best friend. She called me, she's freaking out. She's like, hey, my mom saw you at the mall holding hands with someone and she is just she will she's hounding me right now like she keeps asking me are you gay um so at that point i am freaking out like i'm like fuck now it's out now i have to come out to my mother and also like your moment of feeling free is now like very short-lived yes exactly (sighs) exactly um so so i knew i had to tell my mom because if i didn't tell her i knew that her mom would Mm -hmm. So it happened way faster than I was prepared for. Um, I remember calling my mother up and being like, all right, mom, I'm going to come over for dinner. Uh, I remember sitting both of them down, my mother and my father down. And I remember shaking. It was really difficult to actually say the words, I'm gay. When those words finally came out, they were received really well. So I remember walking away from there feeling like this relief well because you went into it thinking as soon as i say this my whole world is going to turn upside down they're not going to want me to be here anymore right it's like it's not just the words it's the assumption rightfully so you had this assumption of here's what's going to happen to me as soon as they know exactly exactly so uh but it was good it was good i left it was awesome the next day this is where i might get a little emotional guys um she called me and I guess it had sit for a Your while. Mom mm-hmm. Called you, okay. Yeah, basically just crying, really hurt, really upset. Uh, she's always taught me to be a very independent woman, to never need a man. And at that point, I just remember her saying, "Like this is not what I meant by uh, saying that," which is a little comical now. Um, but yeah, just basically blaming herself. Like, is it the way I raised you? What did I do wrong? I just remember feeling 
really sad, really lost. And I was comforting her, trying to tell her, hey, you didn't do anything wrong. I am the way I am just because this is how I want to be happy. This makes me happy. And it was a really difficult time after that because I basically did lose my family for about a year. I wasn't allowed to contact my brother or sister. However, uh, it took a while. My mother came around. And now, to be 100% honest, she is my biggest supporter. Mm. She absolutely loves my wife. Um, If anything, my father actually loves my wife more than he loves me now. (laughs) They had no problem coming to the wedding. They've accepted this lifestyle um, wholeheartedly now. Actually, one of the biggest things for you parents out there with queer kids, one of the biggest... Uh, moments for me is the very first time that my mother bought me uh, a male shirt. I remember when that happened and I just remember feeling ridiculously accepted. So in the spirit of LGBTQ History Month, the National Coming Out Day, I decided to get a little emotional for you guys and um, tell you, share my coming out story. Because for anyone who's struggling out there, I just want to let you be aware of it was very emotional and difficult to first But just like with the many coming out stories, I've also been told there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Mm -hmm. And uh, for the most part, the people who matter do end up coming around. Yeah, Yeah. I'm I did not realize that there was like a year of your life of kind of a loss of family. They're there now, but there was a year of that. Um. And that makes me so sad because, you know, like your mom saying, like, where did I go wrong? It it just basically is saying you're a mistake. So where did I go wrong as a parent? And that's got to be the worst feeling. Very shameful to be told that. And, of course, it's got to hit so hard because it's your mom. You know, it's it's different if it's like a stranger saying something, you, you can blow it off. But when it's your mom and it's your family that matters so much and that's very traumatic to go through that and i and when i say trauma i mean that literally i think people don't associate trauma with experiences like this but it is very traumatic because it's your it's your family it's who you view as a support it's who you rely on and when that suddenly feels stripped because of who you are I just, I would imagine that felt very traumatic and probably still feels that way. Even though things are good now, yeah. thank God. Like, it's a, it's a beautiful story that they they are your support now and came around. But at the time, I really cannot imagine how hard that must have been. No, and I tell parents all the time because now I'm a very proud queer woman. Mm-hmm. And every once in a while I will get a parent or um, a child of a more conservative parent or uh, someone who's struggling with coming out, they'll slide into my DMs and basically just, A, tell me how they're struggling with, you know, accepting either themselves or maybe their child, right? And one thing that I do make sure to tell the parents, because a lot of the times, and my mother was just like this as well, a lot of the times uh, the negative reaction is less about how they feel and more about how they know their child is about to succumb themselves to a lot of hate, Mm -hmm. right? So they're like, I don't want my child to just go through that in the world. And what a lot of parents don't understand is it's, they've already been going, if they're coming out to you now. They've already been going through it. They've been going through it already. um, But in a a shameful, closeted, I can't say anything about Mm -hmm. this uh, way. And two, as someone who has came out many times and still in Texas comes out all the time, 
I could care less what a stranger's opinion of me is. Like if I, I'm at the bar and I'm bartending and I, someone finds out I'm gay and they decide to go on some rant about how I'm going to go to hell or it's not a lifestyle that they believe in. Yeah, it might uh, hit me a little bit. I might get a little uncomfortable, but I don't care what their opinion yeah. is, right? However, the the part that hurts the most, it's not the other people that's going to hurt you, the strangers that are going to hurt you, that the your bosses that are going to hurt you. The people that hurt you the most as far as not accepting you are the people that you love. Yes. Right. So don't care what strangers, don't care the treatment I get from other people. Doesn't bother me whatsoever. If my family says that they don't accept the lifestyle and it's someone that I actually look up to or I'm very close to, that's the cut that cuts really deep yeah. right, in your heart. So. I try to give that advice to a lot of parents who are afraid for their kids um, and then um, because of that react to it negatively, whereas it's it's not other people's reactions that they care about. It's yours. Mm -hmm. um, so just a little tidbit out there for my for our heterosexual listeners. Or, yeah. Well, and it's very vulnerable, vulnerable of you to share that story. Oh, yeah. Very vulnerable. And. I guess it kind of goes back to what I was saying earlier about community mm -hmm. and people knowing they're not alone. Yeah. Those are the kind of stories that it's like unfortunate that it happens, but it it is comforting for someone to know, okay, I've been through that and I'm going to be okay. Oh, yeah. And things will come around and it will work out the way that it's, you know, there's like a lot of comfort in that. Mm -hmm. So I appreciate you sharing it too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no problem, guys. And just I have like a couple of, of um, real quick before we close this out. Like one funny story and then also just like my own personal experience. So I I don't have a coming out story. I've not had to come out. And kind of like Eric said in our last episode, it isn't just like one coming. And even like you said a minute ago, it's not just one coming out story. It's like you're always having to come out, right? It's like yeah. a constant. Um, but I remember when Ellen DeGeneres came out. Oh, big and one. And okay. when, she, when she had her show and... Just for anyone listening, I grew up in a very small town and kind of like sheltered in a way and being gay, being queer. And I and I do not mean to be, sound offensive when I say this. but This is how it was at the time. Yeah. It was like being an alien. Yes. It was it was so like that, like so rare that I don't know anyone who's queer, you know. So when I remember I'm, and I'm kind of like skipping back and forth but when I was in college, a friend of mine that I went to high school with went to the same college as me and was telling me that one of our old classmates was a lesbian. And I was like, no fucking way. Like I was like in such denial. I was like, there's no way that's true. I don't believe that. And looking back, you know how ignorant that was. Cause it just seemed so alien at the time. Yeah. So going back to Ellen DeGeneres, when she came out, I didn't know what coming out meant. I didn't know what being gay or lesbian meant. All I kept, I specifically remember my mom saying like, Ellen DeGeneres came out of the closet. I thought she was referring to like a scene in the show. And so I would watch Ellen's <laughs> show and I'd be like, when is she coming out of the closet? Like physically, I thought she was like entering the room from a closet. And I was like, she still hasn't come out of the closet yet. When's this closet scene going to happen? And that's what I thought, like, that it was, it. like, weirdly enough. So I just remember, for me, lots of ignorance and, like, I just didn't know shit back then because um, it just it just seems so alien. And that's why the education is so important because how do you think I would have thought or looked at the world if I got that education? You know, it would have been different. But 
my quick funny story is in 2013 when gay marriage became legalized i was getting my oil changed um at like at the chevy dealership and you know the dealership they have like as you're waiting they have like the tv and the couches and like this like nice waiting area and so the tv was on the news and of course the news was talking about gay marriage for weeks it was like such oh, a huge course. deal yeah, at the huge. time like reason to be celebrated luckily by this time by 2013 i had like finished college and was not nearly as ignorant and had gay friends so i you know wasn't like i was 10 years prior to that so 2013 i'm getting my old chain sitting there and the news is on and there's this old woman sitting in the waiting area with me and it's just me and her and she turns to me and she's like I just can't believe this. I just don't agree with this. Like, I just think that this isn't okay. And I said, well, I'm a lesbian. And she left the waiting room. Love it. <laughs> she, like, got, I, I could tell she was, like, embarrassed and just left the waiting room. And I never saw her again. And Because oh, it was just, like, why would you say that to a stranger when you don't even know? Like, yep. I'm not a lesbian, but she doesn't know that. So that's why I was, like, well, I might have said, like, well, I'm gay. <laughs> and that's what she was like oh my god and like had to leave but it's just weird yeah. right how strangers will say these things and it's like you don't even know who you're talking to yeah oh well yeah that's normal in general so yeah. also a little tidbit of me i'm i'm biracial as well mm-hmm. my mother is a mexican woman um immigrated here uh technically i'm an anchor baby as uh, what our former president liked to call uh people like me but anyway <laughs> Uh, she's very white presenting. I'm sure that anyone who's looking also sees me. I'm very white presenting as well, too. Um, but yeah, she's a lot of people think she's a white lady, have no idea that she's born and raised in Mexico. Uh, uh, Spanish was her first language. Um, so there is a lot of racist comments that get said to her all the time. Like, can you believe that they let those immigrants in here? And I just I love it because my mother is just like, like immediately she'll clock you and be like, you have no idea who you're talking to. Um, yeah. Type thing, yeah. Or same thing as a bartender. I I will uh, dress a little bit more feminine in order in order to get a little bit more money from my customers and things like that. Uh, also, I just don't feel comfortable dressing ma- the way I would normally dress in a professional setting. Um, so a lot of times I will get a lot of people who gay bash, not knowing that on the other end, I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm a very much a queer lady. So yeah, be careful who you talk to guys. It is, it's wild. <laughs> it's wild to me because it's clear to me. They assume the world as a whole thinks like yeah. they do. Yeah. And it's like, oh, we, we don't, <laughs> we don't, you're, I'm not the person to talk to about that. But most people are like the mm-hmm. way you grew up in a small town. Mm-hmm. So you just knew it as an alien thing. Same thing with me. Yeah. I grew up, uh, the reason my parents acted the way they did is because we have a very Jehovah witness mm. family, a very religious family. On top of that, us being Mexican, that's just not a culture that even allows uh, yeah. same sex um, relationships. So yeah, it was very, it was very alien to everybody in my family and growing up too. And I remember being in a basketball team where we bashed people who were um, lesbian, like literally. And I I partook in it, knowing my feelings, but just wanting to be accepted. Yeah, wanting um, to fit in. Yeah, so I mean, the things people say, not realizing how many other people are being affected around them. Yes, right? yeah. yes, just wild. But again, I appreciate you oh, yeah. sharing yeah. your story and... Yeah, we're just this. This is us, you know, celebrating gay icons, gay Christmas and also celebrating LGBTQ History Month. So representation is important, guys. Absolutely. It matters a ton. So we hope you all have enjoyed this and 
we can't wait to uh to have our listeners showing up again for our next episode yeah, so, uh, yeah <laughs> we'll keep it coming all right well we are sex positivity unfiltered and remember to stay curious and fuck politeness